I'd like to ask the rest of you, if you will, to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. You know, during this uh, season, the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on different themes, aspects of the coming of Christ. We've um, talked about the peace that he promises and that he brings. And we've talked about hope, the hope that he gives uh, through the message of salvation. This morning, I want to turn our attention to the subject of joy. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, Luke records this event of the shepherds uh, being visited by the angels. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Father, I want to ask you this morning to open your word and speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would build into our lives the joy that comes in knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes, Father, we just lose track of that. Life presses in, stress builds up, the world clamors for our attention in so many different ways, personal problems seem to deepen and, and build up around us, and in the midst of all of that, we often lose sight of all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that you would restore that focus and that we would, with the shepherds, experience anew the joy that truly exists in Jesus Christ. I ask it, as we open your word to study, that you would do this in his precious name. Amen. When we come to Luke chapter 2 and the angels' appearance, as they come to the shepherds, and of course last week we looked at a different aspect of this passage, you can imagine the surprise and shock of these men who were not fearful by any means on the average, 
They kept sheep and tended them at night. They dealt with, dealt with wild beasts that would threaten the flocks. They might even have to deal with those who would perhaps attempt to, to steal or plunder the sheep occasionally. They were not men that were given to fearfulness, but on this particular night, an angel appeared. And almost every time an angel shows up in Scripture, uh, human beings tremble a bit. These guys were kind of shocked and surprised by that. And the first words out of the angel's mouth was, Don't be afraid, for I am bringing you good news. And here, the, the Greek language, this is a word that we're all familiar with. You may not know that you know a Greek word, but you do. That word is mega, and we use that for all kinds of things today. But the word is mega. I bring you great good news, which shall be mega joy for you and for all the people, that unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Mega joy. Have you ever thought about mega joy, what it looks like, what it feels like? Everyone has a little different temperament, and uh, some of you are just naturally joyful because of your temperament. Others of you may be kind of like me, you're more of an Eeyore. <laughs> if, you, if you know me pretty well, you know that uh, probably the most excited I ever get is standing up here preaching the Word. After that, I'm pretty droll for most of my life, whether it's positive or negative, I'm just kind of there, you know, uh, even keeled. But mega joy is something I had to stop and think about. He's telling them that there's going to be something that they're going to see that is going to evoke in them a sense of joy that is just unimaginable. It made me decide to look up the word joy in the dictionary, and I looked it up in the English dictionary first. Um, some interesting statements. Let me take a parenthetical pause and dial back a few years. Some of you may remember me saying in messages in times past, uh, trying to relate to different kinds of uh, feelings and emotions and experiences related to the spirit and the soul and the body. Yet in the past I've said things like, uh, pleasure is what the body experiences. Happiness is what the soul experiences. And joy is what the spirit of man or human beings experience. So I kind of divided that up and I heard that from somebody somewhere along the line and it struck a chord with me and it made sense. So I borrowed that and, and used it. Joy relates to the spirit, happiness relates to the soul, pleasure relates to the body, makes sense. And I've also said in the past, and, and I think it's, it's true, that you can have joy even when you are not experiencing happiness. You can have joy when you're experiencing sadness. That's possible. You can also have joy when you are experiencing suffering or pain. One of the marvelous things about knowing Jesus Christ and having His Holy Spirit present within us is that He does bring us His joy even in the midst of difficult times and circumstances that bring emotional sadness and 
possibly even physical pain. However, as I considered the passage this morning, I think that that's only a little bit of the picture. I don't think joy is not an emotion. Joy is an emotion. It does touch our whole being. In fact, as I looked it up, uh, the way the uh, English dictionary describes it is pretty interesting. Joy is intense and especially ecstatic or exultant happiness. Now, there's the word happiness combined with terms like exultant or especially ecstatic. When you read those words, the, the imagery that comes to mind is something welling up inside of you that's just bursting out, that you can't contain, that there's something going on inside that is so fantastic that it is virtually beyond expression except, well, by joy. And the angel comes to the shepherds and says, the news that I'm bringing you, the good news, the word that's used there is evangel or the gospel. The gospel that I'm bringing to you is that you are going to have mega joy. You're going to have joy like you've never experienced before because when you go and see this child, this baby, that you're going to find wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and you recognize who he is, your hearts are going to be absolutely bursting with joy. That makes me ask the question, what is there about this birth and about this child that is going to bring such mega joy? And I believe the answer to that is actually found in the next words of the Savior, of the angels, when they say, For unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. John and I were talking this past week about a book that he had been reading, and um, I forget the title of it, but it was kind of along the lines. I remember years ago reading a similar book by John R.W. Stott, and he said in his writing, you know, don't throw away your mind, you're going to need it. The tendency of modern Western American Christians is to not think of their faith in terms of truth or logic or an intellectual approach, but rather to emotionalize their faith. In fact, the church is most often guilty, and when I say the church, I'm speaking about the American church culturally, is most often guilty of offering Jesus Christ as a panacea, a remedy for all of the things that bother us. Are you doing poorly in your business? Jesus will help you get your business on track. You know, are, are you struggling uh, with, with uh, problems and difficulties in your life, as Tom brought out to the kids this morning, you know, Jesus will help you solve your problems. Um, are, are you in tough relationships that are bringing you sadness? Jesus will help you fix your relationships. 
Do you need purpose and direction in your life? Jesus will give you purpose and direction. We often offer Jesus Christ as the one who is going to solve our problems, fix our troubles, satisfy our desires, uh, meet our emotional needs, give us happiness, uh, somehow uh, turn life into all the wonderful things that it was supposed to be. And honestly, there are at least two problems with that kind of thinking. The first one is that it really misses the point, which I'll get to in a moment. But that, that line of reasoning, come to Jesus and he'll make you um, happy and peaceful and, 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 and feel good, it misses the point. The second thing is, and you may have encountered this to your consternation as you've tried to share your faith, you may run into someone else who has a totally different kind of religion or different kind of faith, and they may say to you, I have peace, I have happiness, I have purpose in my life, the way I relate to God gives me meaning, and all of a sudden you're faced with the, the frustration of trying to persuade someone to follow Jesus and they don't see a need for him because they're doing just fine, thank you very much. All of those are poor reasons at the bottom line for understanding the message of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ that brings mega joy. Because the foundation of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ we have a Savior. That's the heart of the gospel. We have a Savior. And we need a Savior because we're in trouble and we need to be rescued, we need to be saved, we're in trouble with God. And Jesus is the only one who can satisfy that problem, that predicament that we have. The reason that the angel said to the shepherds that you're going to have mega joy is because there is someone you're going to find in the form of a baby lying in a manger that is the Savior that God has promised. And I realize this morning, as the saying goes, I'm kind of preaching to the choir. Uh, most of you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have already dealt with this issue but I want to remind us this morning of the true reason for joy and the heart of the gospel message. Friends, the truth from the scripture is that every human being on the face of the planet is lost and alienated from God and, and dead in their sins and that unless there is a divine remedy they will live their life in the darkness and they will die and go into eternity in outer darkness 
separated from God, never, ever really seeing the light or the meaning or the hope or the, or the, or the true purpose of life. Ever since Adam and Eve turned away from God in the Garden of Eden, their lives became infected by sin, and that infection has been passed on to all of their offspring. You know, there are a lot of questions theologically that I wrestled with because I didn't like the pat answers that the theology books gave. Uh, I, I don't want to make you crazy this morning. Some deep theological exercise, but I was told, for example, when I was studying theology, that Adam was my federal head, and that the choice he made, he made for everybody, and I just had to suffer the consequences of his choice, because God kind of gave Adam the privilege of deciding whether the whole human race was going to follow God or not, and you know what, I kind of felt that was not very fair. I mean, I really, I, I said, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. I wasn't there. I didn't get to, to, to participate. I didn't even get to give him my opinion. And now you're telling me that I'm going to suffer because he made this dumb choice, and I might not have had that choice. So that didn't help me any. That didn't satisfy me. But then I came to understand more completely exactly why the sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden when he turned against God, why that did affect me. And the reason was because Adam and Eve were designed to reproduce after their own kind. They were designed to, to carry on human life. And they were made in the image of God and filled with His Spirit and filled with life and filled with relationship with God and no sin in their life, they were perfect. But when they sinned and rebelled, they turned away from a holy God, darkness came into their life, the Holy Spirit vacated, they were thrust out of the Garden of Eden, and their children conceived from that time on were born with that same infection separated from God and born in darkness. And I think that's an analogy that most of us can understand. All over the, the continent of Africa, AIDS is rampant. HIV virus is prevalent. And children who are born to parents with HIV are often infected from, the, from conception, from the womb, with the HIV virus. Because their parents have it. It's a part of their nature, it's a part of their life, and it's being passed on to their children. Many diseases are passed on in the process of birth because of the intimate association of a child to the parent. And friends, the Bible teaches us very plainly that since Adam and Eve turned away from God, Every single child born from that beginning point has been infected with the reality of a sin nature. And as a consequence of that infection, every one of us 
are infected at birth and as soon as we mature and and are able to make choices we begin to make choices contrary to the will of God going our own way carrying out the same rebellion following in the same steps and so the reality is is that every human being on the planet the scripture says is born in sin and born with the rebellious nature and born hostile to God and as they grow and develop as soon as they are able to make intelligent choices they make dumb ones they rebel they continue to do the wrong thing they go their own way Isaiah puts it this way all we like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our his own way Every human being has gone their own way. Friends, we're in trouble. The whole human race is in trouble. And this morning when we consider the reality that all across this planet, men and women and children have been infected with this sin nature and they are in opposition to God and they are self-centered and they want their own way and that's the way we are naturally apart from Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. Furthermore, the Bible says that that sin has alienated us from a holy God who is righteous and who has a standard of holiness and that there is no darkness in Him whatsoever. And we are alienated from the very God who made us and who does indeed love us but who holds us at a great distance because of the sin that makes our life odious and foul in his presence. The angels appeared to the shepherds and they said, I have good news. I have incredible news. A news that when you catch it, it's going to give you mega joy. I have news that a Savior is born one who will save his people from their sin the Bible says that because we have sinned the soul that sins will die and the scripture makes it plain that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that comes the judgment and it's a judgment that every human being will fail because there is no one righteous in his eyes. I want you to look, if you have your Bibles, at Romans chapter 3. Very important passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, describing the condition of the human race. If you have learned the background of this book, and remember from times past the teaching from Romans, you know that in chapter 1, Paul explains very clearly why all non-Jews, all Gentiles are lost in sin. And then when he comes to chapter 2, he says to the Jews, you know, they're feeling pretty good about themselves about now. They're saying, of course the Gentiles are lost. They're pagans. We always knew that. And he says, you who are Jews, don't get so smug. You have the law. 
You've had the knowledge of God. God has revealed himself to you through Moses and the law and the prophets. You have all the benefit of knowing everything that I have revealed about myself. And yet you don't follow the rules either. You don't keep the law. You haven't paid any attention. All of you like them are in the same condition. And chapter 2, he makes it very plain that the Jews are in just as much trouble as the Gentiles, if not more, because knowing the truth, they've turned away from it. And so as we come to verse 9, Paul describes the condition of humanity. And he says, What then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks for God. Everyone is turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throats an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps or vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul is trying to help us understand here and make plain that because we have this infection from birth, if you want to look at it that way, because we have been affected by the sin nature, as soon as we hear the law. Don't do that. Those of you that are parents, what happens when you tell your children, don't do that. Last Saturday, I think it was last Saturday, maybe been two weeks ago, was watching the, the grandkids for a while. The little guy's three. Cute as a button, killer smile. He knows it. Something he'd been told clearly not to do. And so Rowena went upstairs to get ready. She was going to take them to the library for story time. And he's going to do the thing that she's told them not to do. And I said, don't do that. And he looked at me. Don't you do that. Gets a smile on his face. And faster than lightning does it. Defiant, right in the eye. Catch me if you can. I'm going to do as I please. Three years old, about this eye. All you have to do to bring out the sin nature in someone is give them something they can't do. And there's something inside of human beings that says, oh, yes, I can. Because our nature is to be in rebellion. And the scripture says, the law was given not to save us, but to make us aware that we are so rebellious and hard-headed. The law was given to awaken our conscience to the fact 
that we have sinned, and not only that, we want to sin. Maybe that's a little too crass of term, because you say, well, I don't really see it that way, but the truth is that once we hear the law, our heart says, I want to do what I want to do. And who does God think he is? What is the Bible anyway? What is this Christianity business? Who are they to, to, to tell me how to live my life? I can do as I please. Oh, really? God has made it plain. This is how I want you to live. This is my character. And all the law did was show us that we're not doing that very well. Paul goes on to say, But now, apart from the law, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. That word means satisfaction. God's wrath was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. In his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over sins, that is to say his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. See, here's the amazing plan. And as we think about the candles that remind us of the hope and the peace and the joy that Jesus Christ brings, and we follow the path to the cross that is the real source of that hope and peace and joy because the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross for our sin he paid a price that satisfied the requirements of God the soul that sins will die but you see Jesus had no sin he did not need to die he had no sin he was not under the judgment of God People say, how could the death of one man be adequate for a whole human race? Well, because that one man was also God, the infinite God-man on the cross, whose sinless human life could be given as a substitute for our sin, whose infinite divine life could make it available for millions and millions of human beings who would trust him. The one who was able on the cross to pay the price for our sin. We can talk about the peace that Jesus gives. We can talk about the help that he gives. We can talk about the purpose that he provides for life and the focus and direction. We can talk about committing ourselves to God and praying over our businesses and our families and our relationships and finding the help of God and the strength of God and all of those marvelous benefits that are ours in Jesus Christ.
But friends, the thing we need the most that no other religion, no other philosophy, no other kind of practice can suffice, the thing that we need the most is forgiveness. Reconciliation with God. Someone to take away our sin. Someone to cleanse our lives and restore us to peace with God. And there's only one person in all of human history that fits that bill, and that one is Jesus. He is the only one that can die for our sins and make it stick. He's the only one qualified. And so the angel said to the shepherds, when you see who's in that manger, mega joy, peace with God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, cleansed from sin. Isn't it wonderful, those of you that know him this morning, isn't it wonderful to know that right now you can go to God and talk to him and have fellowship with him and there is nothing standing in the way. Isn't it wonderful to know that if you were to die right this moment, you would open your eyes and behold the face of Jesus Christ and be in the presence of the Father, safe for all eternity. Isn't it a blessing to know this morning that because of Jesus Christ, we will live forever in the presence of God with no pain, no judgment, no punishment. Our sins have been cleansed. We are whiter than snow. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, can you imagine anything more wonderful today than getting an absolutely fresh, clean, new beginning in life? To be able absolutely to have all the past wiped off the slate, to have your heart completely clean, to be pure and holy in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ's price that he paid for you on the cross. And to know that you are forgiven and you can start over this time with him as your Lord and your master and your guide and your friend. What could be more wonderful? Mega joy. The angels didn't stop there. That's certainly the best part. But they said this Savior is Christ the Lord. This is the one of promise. This is the one that was promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the one that was promised through Abraham. This is the one that was promised in David. This is the one that you've been looking for all your lives. This is Messiah, the promised one. And this one is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will reign and rule in righteousness first in your life and then when he comes back throughout the world. You know, this week we just got some horrible, horrible news on Friday. The incredible tragedy 
that happened in Connecticut is just incomprehensible. I just can't even imagine the grief and the shock and the numbing pain that parents are experiencing, the trauma that the people in the school that survived have experienced, the feelings that the police and the paramedics and first responders have had to deal with, their lives will never be the same. Those kinds of events serve to focus our attention on the kinds of tragedy that can happen in this life, and it, it gives us for a moment something that we can actually you know, kind of put our focus and, 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 and kind of get into with our heart. But what we don't see is that throughout this world, every hour, thousands of children around the world die from hunger and from disease that could be prevented. But it isn't. And all around the world, in the time that I've been preaching, several thousand children have died from starvation and their parents' grief. I finished reading the book I've been reading devotionally, and in the last chapter, some startling things came to my attention. It was amazing for me to read the statistic that if your household income is at least $10,000 a year, your household income is at least $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 85% of the world. And if your household income, household, is greater than $50,000 a year, you are wealthier than 99% of the world. Across the world today, people live in poverty. They live in need. They live in fear. They live with great challenges and problems, and they grieve and mourn the loss of loved ones on a basis far more routinely than we do. The world longs for this King and this Lord, even if they do not know his name, even if they don't understand what it is they're yearning for, they want someone to fix the problems that plague our world. There is a yearning for righteousness, a yearning for provision, a yearning for security, a longing for safety and peace. And that is all met in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the Lord the King of kings and Lord of lords. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when you get that, you will have mega joy. Mega joy. Friends, he's come for us already. We know the truth. We can share the message 
of hope. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will rectify all that is wrong and bring deliverance to this sad planet. Praise his name. I look forward to Jesus' return. There's a song that we have sung in the past. I don't think it's quite so popular anymore, but one of the lines, it's always touched me because I think it, it calls out something in me that doesn't come naturally, but I long for it. We will dance with him in streets that are golden. Unbridled joy. Dancing with Jesus. The, you know, the Lamb of God, the Bridegroom, the Great Son of Man, and we will dance in streets that are golden. Joy, unspeakable and full of glory, is his offering. You know what this morning? You have the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. More than anything else, he is our Savior. Praise his holy name. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for being willing to come. Thank you this morning for being our Savior. For bringing us the joy that comes from having peace with God through you, our Lord, Jesus the Messiah. We praise your holy name. Amen.